Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap. How is everybody doing? We are going to talk about why I worry if the Bucks are shorthanded in the postseason. We'll talk about last night's really bad loss to the Los Angeles Clippers. We'll also talk a little bit about Jeff Teague joining the Bucks, which I am not a huge fan of, but I guess that's where we're going. And then we'll talk about what's exciting us about the Milwaukee Brewers this season. We will probably do the inverse uh, tomorrow. And then lastly, we will do a Chuck's Corner on do I owe my fiance a vacation if she wins the bracket pool. So we'll get into all of that. Very excited. But let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks got off on a bad foot uh, with their road trip as they got absolutely shit pumped. By the Los Angeles Clippers, 129 to 105. Bad losses happen from time to time, but the Bucks just did not look ready. They did not look engaged. They after the first quarter, it all went to shit. It's like they showed energy for 12 minutes, and that was it. Giannis refused to speak to the media afterwards. Pretty upset by the loss. I think everybody was. Uh, you heard Drew Holiday sort of say, like, this is not Bucks basketball. It's not what we come to expect. I think Chris Middleton said something similar. Um, the Bucks were very unhappy after the game. They got pulled off the court. Middleton mentioned that. And he's like, that's never fun. You're right. It isn't. And it was a pathetic loss. And I, I said on the review um, on Instagram, Twitter, if you haven't seen it, so type WI, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get mad about this. I actually looked at this like, you know, as, as every day I, I look at the lines and I, I actually thought the Clippers had great value. I don't bet against my own team. I just... It's not something I do. I I feel like it's the last step of being a degenerate and not being a fan is like betting against your own team. But that said, I thought the the Clippers minus two and a half was as good of a bet as any in the NBA because the Clippers have been absolutely rolling. They are the hottest team in basketball. And so I said to myself, like, you know what? Don't get mad if they lose this game. Like they have a six game road trip. Like this is not worth like pushing the panic button. It's going to be okay. You're going to survive. I said all those things, and then Reggie Jackson started putting points in the Bucks' face. Luke Kennard basically ended the Bucks, and I was like, you know what? Fuck this! Like this is not a team you you should not let guys like Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Marcus Morris, uh, Terrence Mann had some moments. Like you shouldn't let those guys beat you. That that just shouldn't happen. All right. And it just was a lazy, pathetic effort from the Bucks, and it lacked energy. And so again. We sort of hit this thing where if the Bucks are shorthanded, they aren't this good team. And I, I just can't really understand it. Like, I get it. Like, you want to be at full strength, right? Like, every team is better when they're at full strength. And and I hate to compare them to the Packers and, I, and even maybe the Brewers at times. But, like, we've seen instances locally here where if a team isn't full strength, they can still figure it out. Like... It's not like the Packers like lost all their games once David Bakhtiari left with an ACL tear. Like they didn't just lose out the rest of the season. They won a couple games, then yeah, they needed Bakhtiari at the end. And so is this a case where the Bucks against bad teams will be all right? Like we'll see against the Lakers because right now I think the Lakers are a bad team. Um, just they just don't have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They're only the two best players. Of course, they're not going to be as good. Now they might get Andre Drummond to play on. On Wednesday, but even if Drummond plays, like that's a bad matchup. He's gotten dominated by Giannis in the past, and I would expect the Bucks to come out with a lot of piss and vinegar after what happened on Monday night. But the so 
if it's just bad teams, like it's one thing to it's every team, or if it's just good teams, like if good teams and it's like, oh, we don't have Bobby Portis, we're gonna and PJ Tucker, we're gonna lose. But Bobby Portis, while I love Bobby and I think he should get some votes for sixth man of the year, I mean the award is pretty much in Jordan Clarkson's closet. Like Jordan Clarkson can already like start writing his acceptance speech. That's how much of a sixth man Jordan Clarkson is. But Bobby Porter should still get some votes. Like Bobby Porter should still get some consideration for sixth man of the year. I understand his importance. I understand his value. I understand they miss, you know, the scoring. They miss his energy. They miss his rebounding. They miss his hustle. They miss his grind. Like, I get it. But it, it shouldn't be like this complete like clusterfuck just because Bobby Portis isn't here. That that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't throw the Bucks off so much. That they play like absolute garbage. And, and you could just see it kind of trending in the wrong way after that first quarter. First quarter comes out, they look hot, they look good. And then the rest of it, sort of the bottom falls out. And so if you want to make an argument of the bench who did not really play well. So like Holiday, Middleton, and Antetokounmpo all scored you know double digits. They were the only guys to score double digits on the box last night. And you want to say, well, all the other guys, this is their third game in four nights. They had to travel to L.A. The body clock isn't entirely on West Coast time yet. Guys are weird. And so maybe it was just one of those things where even though the starters are well-rested, the other guys aren't. I don't know what to make of Dante DiVincenzo, who was also rested, and he was terrible on Monday night. But I don't know. I have some weird things about Dante where I... I, I know he's under like COVID protocols, but man, I think that guy gets after it. And there's just games where it looks like he's just hung over. Like, I don't mean to like accuse him of that, but it, it's just, he has some weird fucking games and it's just like, I don't know if he's just not that good or it's just like, he's just off for some reason. But Dante DiVincenzo is literally a roulette wheel. You do not know what you're going to get with Dante DiVincenzo in any of these games. So the fact of the matter is, is like the Bucks have to be better. That point blank, they have to be better. Now I know fans right now are just absolutely panicked. Like they're like, oh my God, this is like, now, now I don't know how to feel about the Bucks. Like the Bucks have won. And, and, and this is why Bucks fans are so fucking sensitive. But the Bucks won 16 of 17 games. The Bucks were absolutely rolling. They steamrolled good teams. They beat good teams. They beat a Philadelphia team, even though shorthanded. They came back from 17 fucking down to beat Philadelphia. And you lose three games, albeit one of those, none of your guys played. They would have killed the Knicks if they played. And so maybe that was should have been the plan. And Bud should have been like, all right, we're going to bank a win, and then we're not going to play anybody against the Clippers. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is the Bucks drilled a lot of good teams in those 16 to 17 win streak so it's not like this this is some sort of cautionary tale it's not like the bucks are looking like they're gonna be a four seed it's like we gotta have some perspective we gotta rein ourselves in bad losses are gonna happen i know i sound angry like i know my tone of voice right now is not one that is happy with the milwaukee bucks But at the same time, I'm not going to just completely throw all of the the good things that Milwaukee did in the last month out the fucking window because of one bad game. And if you are, 
I'd ask for a little more perspective. If they lose, you know, another game, if they lose the Lakers, like, yeah, freak out. Like, yeah, there there is a freak out potential there because it's like, all right, well, what the fuck? How are how do you guys get why you you know one one or two losses throws you off your game? The Bucks have not been really able to show the ability to bounce back. So that that's probably the, the, one of the concerns. The shorthanded concern is is one. The inability to bounce back seems to be another one where it's like the Bucks cannot seem to get off the mat after a couple losses. They can they've gotten better at sort of bouncing back in game. Like we, the Philadelphia game is a great example. Uh, the Washington game a few weeks ago, where I think they were down ten at into the fourth quarter, they came back and won that game. So like I I feel like there are more examples of Milwaukee being able to bounce back within a game. But as for multiple losses, it's like they get too tight and they're like, oh my god, we have to win this game. And it's like just relax. Just play basketball. And and yeah, it looks like they're going to be the three seed, which means you're going to have to face Brooklyn or Philly in the second round, and then you're going to have to face the other one in the conference finals. All right, so be it. Just let's, let's fucking ride. Now they're three back. There's still a chance. You never know. Milwaukee could get hot, and those teams could falter. But it doesn't look like neither of those teams are faltering, and you have to almost be perfect every night. Now, I know a lot, the the next worry is, well, we'd have to play the Celtics maybe. Well, yeah, but the Celtics got to win games. Like, the Celtics right now are a seventh seed. I'm not going to worry about playing the Celtics until it actually is a reality. That four through nine is an absolute crapshoot at this point. There is no reason we should be worrying about who we're playing in the playoffs right now. We can rank. We, we did that last week on the on two podcasts where we're like, all right, here are the teams I'd want to play. And I originally said I want to play Celtics. Mitch basically was like, you're a fucking idiot. And then they get blown out by the Celtics on Friday night. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I am an idiot. So I, I don't necessarily want to see the Celtics. But I will say that it's too early for us to start worrying about that stuff. If it gets into we're in the final 10 games of the season and it looks like it's going to be Buck Celtics round one, then yeah, it's some worry. But I think the Celtics are good enough as a basketball team, and I know they've struggled this year, but they're good enough as a basketball team to be the four or the five. And I think that's where they'll end up. I don't think they're going to end up as a sixth seed. I think it's more likely that a team like Atlanta, a team like Charlotte, a team like New York is going to end up being in that sixth spot. And I don't think it's going, I think it's going to be Miami, Boston in the 4-5, which is a great 4-5 matchup. And then any of those combination of teams. And if it really works out for Milwaukee, they get Atlanta or Indiana. So I don't want to panic about the playoffs just yet. I think three seed is not ideal. But again, we talked about how well the Bucks have so much pressure as a one seed. And so now you're also saying, well, a three seed is a problem because you have to go through Philly or Brooklyn. Look, it would be nice to not play one of them, but if you're going to be, be the best, I guess you better beat the best. I mean, Ric Flair said that years ago, and that's, I think, the motto that the Bucks should stick to, and we'll, we'll fire it up. Like, we'll get going on the reviews. We'll bring in the Ric Flair and get it done because that's what's how it's going to take, and that's what it's going to happen. But, yeah, it, it wasn't a great one for the Bucks, and they it, the idea that they can't win shorthanded is a little scary. Because injuries happen. 
injuries are a concern. You're, you're not going to maybe have your entire team for the entire playoff run. And why can't you win shorthanded? Is that a coaching thing? Is that Mike Budenholzer just assuming that you can plug and play Thanasis? And Bobby Portis is, you know, Bobby Portis basically minutes are absolved because the Nasus plays. And like while the Thanasis stuff on Saturday was awesome and a lot of fun, we had, I think we all had a great time with the Thanasisance uh, to steal something from Bill Simmons. Because uh, he, he did that with the Bombasance, the Medinasance, the, the Thanasisance. Uh, say that like five times fast. Uh, even though that happened, um, it wasn't great on Monday. He definitely looked out of position. I would have liked to see a little more Dicate. Dicate played seven minutes. I thought he looked actually pretty good in those seven minutes. But I would have kind of moved a lot of those guys in and out. I might have gave Jordan Norris some shine. I might have gave Sam Merrill. Like, Bud needs the combination. And that's, I think, the frustrating thing about the shorthandedness. And then we'll go to Jeff Teague here, who might help the Bucs shorthandedness. We'll see. Is like when the Bucks are shorthanded, when they are missing guys, like when they were missing Drew Holiday, it's like Bud sticks his feet in the sand and is like, nope, this is my lineup. I'm not going to try anything new. This is what we're rolling out for the game. I'm not going to make the in-game adjustments with my lineups. These are my lineups. You guys said you didn't want me to have 10 or 11 guys, so here we go. And I'm just going to play nine or, 9 or 10 guys, maybe empty the bench if we're getting blown out like they were on Monday. So you stay in LA, you play the Lakers on Wednesday, get it done. Like that's a game you have to win. There's no excuses on that one. I won't call it a must win, right? Because it's a fucking regular NBA, regular season NBA game. But it, it would be really nice not to deal with Bucks fans. And I also, <laughs> as a aside, we're taping to having to keg early. Like I feel like I might have to do an intro and talk about Bucks Lakers if they lose that game. I hope not. Um, because I don't really feel like taping at like midnight of uh, on Wednesday evening. Transitioning, staying with the Bucks, but a new topic, talking about Jeff Teague. So Jeff Teague joins Milwaukee. He is going to sign um, from the buyout market. He was traded to Orlando in the Evan Fournier deal. Um, Orlando bought out Teague. And so now Teague joins Mike Budenholzer. So I'm not that excited about this. This leaves me very cold. Um, if you saw me on Twitter, uh, SnowTapWI, um, I was arguing about Jeff Teague versus Austin Rivers with my guy Josh. And basically, I was not that excited about Jeff Teague. And part of the reason is I just don't know what Jeff Teague brings that Austin Rivers doesn't. And I'm not really that excited about Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague has left me kind of cold in the last few years. And Jeff Teague kind of has this feeling of Bledsoeism. He gives me Bledsoe vibes, and that just doesn't make me feel good. Now, Teague hasn't been like a playoff failure. He's played in a lot of playoff games, more playoff games than I thought he has. He's played, I think, in 71 is what I, I pulled up, which is crazy. And he's played a lot of playoff games and a lot of minutes in playoff games. But still... I'm a little worried that Jeff Teague is going to have those moments when he's in the game. Now, granted, he's not going to play a ton of minutes. I mean, he played, he averaged 29 minutes per 60 playoff games or 71 playoff games. He started 60 of them. Um, that Jeff Teague's going to be like, all right, it's Jeff Teague time. And that's that's not what we need. And and that's I, what I didn't think Austin Rivers would do. Like I thought Austin Rivers would play among a system. Austin Rivers would shoot when it's open. But the 
Bucks decided to opt for Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague decided to join the Bucks. Now, Mike Boonholzer used to be his coach, and obviously there are some good vibes there. Um, I I think it's weird that people assume that everybody wants to play for Mike Boonholzer. Clayton called that out on, on Saturday. Clayton maybe the number one anti-Bud guy that I follow on Twitter right now. Um, and, but I also too was like, I don't think everybody's gonna, you know, I don't think Boonholzer wants to play. Like when Dennis Schroeder was mentioned for the Bucks, I'm like, but Boonholzer and him like clash heads. They don't like each other. So I'm like, why do people think the Bucks want Schroeder? Now, I think they were involved in trying to get Schroeder. There were some rumors that they were involved in Schroeder. So maybe, who knows? Maybe, maybe I'm off on this, but the Jeff Teague thing, I just, I don't know. I, I didn't see it with him. I know he played really well against the Bucks in those two games. So maybe that helped. He's been very good from three this year. Um, he's made, he's made four, what is that? 46% from three, which is crazy. Yeah, he's 46% from three, but now he's shooting way less threes. So I kind of think it's a flawed stat. Like he's only shot 56 threes all year. He hasn't really played a lot. So I don't know how much I can make of Jeff Teague career. He's about a 35% shooter. And there's not like a sign, I guess maybe if you want to kind of dig into it, he was 36% in 2019 as well. So maybe it's a he's a little bit above average in the last couple of years. But I'm not ready to be like, all right, Jeff Teague, again, completely has fixed himself. He also has had some injury issues. He hasn't really been able to stay healthy. He's only played a full season in two seasons. He's played you know 79 games in two other seasons. But he's had some injury issues, especially late in his career. Um, 2019-2020, he only played 59 games. 2018-2019, uh, he only played 42 games. Um, he only play, He's only played 34. I think we have... I don't know how many games they've played this season. I'll be honest. So it's like, oh, he's only played 34 games this season. I'm like, I don't even know how many fucking games they've been this year. Let me look. So anyways, Jeff Teague is not, just leaves me a little cold. I'm not that excited about Jeff Teague. I don't know how many minutes Jeff Teague is going to acquire. Um, I don't know if they're going to do something, especially with Portis and Tucker out at this point, if Teague is going to get a few more minutes because of that, and they're going to kind of go small maybe, or, you know, put Teague in holiday and holidays and off guard. And maybe you move Middleton to the four and you go real small with like a Pat content or a Dante DiVincenzo. I'm not sure. I don't know what that might look like. Or Giannis at the four, Brooke at the five and Middleton at the three, right? Or something like that. So I don't know if they're going to use Teague as sort of a way to kind of mitigate what you're dealing without Bobby and P.J. Tucker. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. We'll see if Teague's going to be suited up for Wednesday's game or if it's not going to be till Friday. Um, You know, this buyout stuff, we talked about it, uh, you know, in blog, but we'll talk about podcasts. Like, you can't expect a ton from a buyout guy. You just can't. You can't expect the buyout guy to come in and have 10 points a game. If he ends up being competent, he doesn't hurt your team, and he has a few nice moments throughout the regular season and in the postseason, that's great. But it's very rare that a bio guy comes in and is a complete difference maker for your team. The only real example of that is P.J. Brown in 2008 when he joined the Boston Celtics, and he became a vital bench player for their championship run. So I'm not expecting Jeff Teague to blow, blow, up, blow everything up. I would have preferred Austin Rivers. I think Austin Rivers... 
plays a style that fits with what the Bucks bench was kind of trying to do. I think the fact that he gets under people's skin is nice. And you could have had another guy like that with PJ Tucker, with Portis. I think all those guys are kind of badasses. And same with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think, you know, they would have had a little bit more of an edge. I don't know if Jeff Teague provides that same amount of swagger. Um, and they could they get Austin Rivers? Yeah, you could add your perimeter arsenal and basically say, all right, we don't have George Teague, but we have a arms George Teague. We don't have George Hill, but we have a combination of Jeff Teague and Austin Rivers, and that's going to be our George Hill. And it's better than what we had with DJ Augustine. I still think Jeff Teague is an upgrade over over DJ Augustine at this point, but I just worry that he has a little bit of Bledsoe in him where. He gets he gets into that mode of like Jeff Teague has to score a basket here, and if Jeff Teague does not score a basket, Jeff Teague is going to pout and he's not going to play defense. And maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I just I think Jeff Teague is a little bit of a selfish player, and he doesn't he needs that kind of reality check of like, bro, you're a bench player now. You're not the Jeff Teague of four or five years ago. You're a different guy. We also have a great Jeff Teague Mitch Ross story um, that I, I'm not going to tell. Because I have to let Mitch tell it. Um, it is one of my favorites. It was an amazing moment. If we were doing videos, if we were doing reviews back then, which if we were, maybe I'd be actually like fucking popular and this would be my my full-time job. Um, it, it, w- it would have been one for the ages. Um, so I'll let Mitch tell that story um, because it's... It's his story to tell. I can't. I can't tell it. I can only set him up for it, um, and I, I will just have him tell it on uh, Thursdays. Tapping the keg. So stay tuned for that. That's what we call a tease in the business. Not really a tease. A tease would be coming up. I'll tell you why. Mitch Ross and Jeff Teague have finally come full circle. And now to the progressive hotline. All right. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers are starting their season on. Thursday, opening day. I think everybody is getting excited. Um, that is, that's feeling good, man. You're feeling good about opening day. I think the optimism for the Brewers is high. I think there are a lot of people who are fired up about this season and was just thinking through like, what are the things that I'm most looking forward to with this Brewer season? And We'll also go to Negative Town tomorrow and do what am I least looking forward to? What am I scared of? What what worries me? Um, but number one in terms of me excitement is just can, is Christian Yelich back? I, he looks back in spring training. Um, it looks like Christian Yelich has revived sort of his career. It looks like 2020 was a mirage. Now, I agree with our guy Mitch Ross, another Mitch Ross mentioned, bit, should have just had him on the show, um, that... 2020 was a mirage of a season that it's kind of a Mickey Mouse year you can't really take 2020 into consideration but I'm very excited for Christian Yelich to kind of return to form I'm very excited for Freddie Peralta I think Freddie Peralta is going to have a breakout year I'm all in on the Freddie Peralta hype train like I'm excited for his starts I think it's going to be great I think if you get on the Peralta train early, you're going to be in a good spot when he's dominating the league in July or August and being the really the third starter for Milwaukee as they you know march towards a playoff spot. Um, I'm excited for Avisail Garcia and Omar Nervaez. Now, 
I, I grouped them together because they kind of worked together this offseason. And I know that's like, well, Charlie, that's kind of weird because they, they've had different 2020s. Avi Garcia, he had a decent, good, not great year. He admittedly thought he was a little too pudgy and lost 36 pounds. And he's had a really good spring training. And he's looked really good. And credit to Avi, he hasn't necessarily basically hurt himself after losing all that weight. Now, we see this happen time and again in baseball and in a lot of in football also uh, where a guy will lose a bunch of weight or he will kind of change his body type and then he just basically struggles like he has an oblique strain or he has a hamstring pull because like he hasn't worked his body into this new shape Garcia has at least at this point knock on wood taking care of himself in that regard and I got to give him credit for that because it's not easy um those it just those injuries those soft tissue injuries seem to happen when guys sort of transform their body he looks great he's been playing great he had a three-run homer the other night Omar Narvaez kind of out for revenge I'm all in on a revenge season Garcia Narvaez worked with hitting coach Andy Haynes in the offseason when the Brewers weren't even like ready to play. It was in January in Miami, I believe. So like, great. Like if these guys were already ready in January to play, like that to me fired me up so much. And like, I was probably the least, let's use a different word. I was probably so far out on Omar Narvaez at the end of last year where I was like, don't arbitrate this guy. Just fuck it. Nottingham, Manny Pena, like, let's go. Like, it's okay. We traded nothing for him. We gave up just some random guy. It's okay. Like, we can cut bait. Brewers disagree with me. They said, Charlie, you're an idiot. And as most of time with the Brewers, especially in David Stearns, they know better than I do. And that's why it's hard to trust David Stearns because sometimes he it's, it's unconventional. And I think the Trent Grisham thing's a, a major stain right now on his resume. Um, we'll see what happens, but yeah, that's not good. Um, probably one of the things I'm least looking forward to this season. We'll get into that tomorrow. Um, but Omar Nevarez looks really good so far. Now, everything changes once you get into the regular season. We'll see. They face Kenta Maeda on Thursday. Kenta Maeda has dominated uh, Milwaukee. So I, I don't feel great about Kenta Maeda on opening day, but we'll see. We'll see what, what happens there. But yeah, I, I am very excited for all those things. I'm also really excited to see what the Brewers bullpen looks like at, with a full year. So like, is it going to be Williams and Hader the entire year? And it's going to be Williams in the 8th, Hader in the ninth. If Hader struggles, will they start looking at Williams in the ninth? Will that be a possibility? Is Josh Hader going to pitch you know multiple games? Is he going to pitch you know? three or four games games in a row or is he going to just stick with that like two game schedule i'm not sure but you the idea that the brewers only really have to play seven innings and i know that sounds cocky but the brewers really only have to win seven innings if the brewers are winning heading into the eighth inning and devin williams is coming to pitch it should be lights out i mean last night they both pitched against the rangers now the rangers are not good, but Williams and Hayter both struck out three batters. 180 struck out six combined. They are ready to go. As Adam McCalvey says, bubble wrap these guys. He's right. Um, and they are going to be ready for Thursday. And it's very exciting. Um, it's very exciting. And I think there's other parts of that bullpen 
to be fired up for, such as like a Drew Rasmussen, who I think has a lot of potential. Justin Topa having that flexor injury really sucks. Um, he's going on the DL. I'm going to miss half the year. I mean, I don't know if I'm in on Fireson. Like, I think Fireson has some has a little bit of skill. Like, I don't. I'm not like completely out on the idea that Fireson can't be a good sort of bridge the gap guy. Obviously, uh, Brett Suter has been so good, um, and it seems like just given spring training, like the demons of what happened in October are over. Like he has like a under two ERA, which I know is like, and I will, and again. Like, I know I keep saying this, and I, I just, I don't want to use spring training as my overall basis, but it, it's hard not to, like, be excited about it when you see the stats, okay? So, I, I know you can be a hater and be like, Charlie, it's totally different. It's just exhibition. Yeah, I get it. But I will say, if a guy like Suter seemed rattled from what happened with all the walks, and he talked about it, and he talked about how it really wasn't that great for him, and that he was in a bad spot mentally for a while, and it seems like he's over it though, and he seems like he's just pitching, and and he's kind of making making it happen. I'm, I'm all in, and that's okay, and that's good, and I, you do worry about that stuff. Like remember Brad Lidge after he gave up that home run to Albert Pujols? I realize. The significance, and I realize the brevity is a lot different. But remember when Lidge gave up that walk-off huge home run to Albert Pujols in two? I think that was two thousand five, two thousand four, maybe. And Lidge was just completely shook up the next year and was terrible that year. Now he figured it out because closers do. But man, that type of stuff can fuck you up. And so I'm really glad that Brett Suter has sort of figured it out. And what I didn't realize until just now, this is an aside. Brett Suter is Ben Aldis. I don't know if you guys are Peloton people. I like Ben Aldis. Great guy. Um, fun bike. Fun uh, cycling ride. But Brett Suter is Ben Aldis. I thought for a while Ben Aldis was Sam Decker. It's actually he's Brent Suter. Um, that's that's the comparison. Um, so now every time I, I ride with Ben and his British accent, I'm going to think I'm riding with British Brent Suter. Um, and maybe I have to bring that to Twitter. We'll see. All right, let's do like a very quick abbreviated Chuck's Corner because no one really wants to hear about brackets. Somehow, someway, I am number four in the bracket pool. Uh, our Snowtap Madness, I am number four. Now, I don't know how this happened. I'm not that good at this shit. I don't usually finish near the top 10. I can't remember the last time I won a bracket or I got very close. I think it's been in, since college. It's kind of crazy too because this wasn't my original bracket. Um, I was filling out a bracket as like a second entry for my dad and I in a bracket pool and this was the bracket that I entered. Now I don't know if I want to tell him like, hey, it's weird, but this is our bracket and we're like second, um, you and I, because I'm like, do I pay my dad? Um, he's probably, He would tell me no. He'd be like, no, just keep, keep your money. Like, don't worry about it. But also I'm competing with my fiance. So my fiance is second. My fiance has been the Buffalo Bills of bracket pools. She has finished second or third, I think in like three of them. In our relationship, we've now, this is our seventh year. So she's entered in a few of them and she comes close, but she never finishes the deal. And it looks like that would be the case again if she, um, if Gonzaga wins and Baylor and beats Baylor and it's Gonzaga Baylor in the final and Gonzaga wins, I believe that I take home the bracket pool. And she takes second. 
Now, she says I owe her a vacation if we win. Now, we're going on vacay to Austin in a few weeks. And she says that doesn't count. She's like, this will be a separate vacation. So I don't know if it's a consolation prize. Like, I don't know, maybe a trip to the Dells. Now, very trashy, right? But like, I don't know, maybe it's a Dells trip or it's a Door County trip. But what does that vacay look like as if she finishes second? And not first, because I, I I will take it home. If But if Michigan loses tonight, I'm screwed. So if Michigan loses tonight, I'm done, and I'm out. And I, I almost now I'm worried, I knock on wood yet again, that Michigan will <laughs> lose because I'm like, oh, my God, like that would be the worst. But, yes, so if Michigan and Gonzaga win tonight, I am in prime position. Um, shout out to our guy, Alex Sice, too, who's been at the top of the chain. You could maybe make the argument that Alex is at a better bracket performance. He just didn't have the final four. I don't know. I'm trying to determine whether I should maybe fix that moving forward and not weigh, you know, the final four, sweet 16, um, all like that. That might be something I'll do next, next time around, because I feel like you shouldn't be punished. It's like kind of regular season versus like the finale of like fantasy football, right? Like fantasy football, you can have an awesome regular season team and be like number one or number two, and you should get rewarded for that. But then also if you're, you can't finish the deal in the playoffs, you get knocked out. So it's cool that Morgan and I are near the top. Um, it's, it'll make for a few awkward moments in the house. Again, I, I think I mentioned this if I haven't, but yeah, I can't even watch the Final Four because I'm becoming a Catholic. And I guess this is the Catholic Super Bowl, the Easter Vigil. So I'm happy to be there for it. Um, don't know if there's going to be any sponsors there. If we're going to have commercial breaks. But, uh, you know, it'll be what it'll be. And I'll watch Final Four when I get home or on Easter morning. All right. That does it for our show. Back tomorrow. Building Murph's Draft Manifesto Wide Receivers. It gets hot. A lot of Rondale Moore talk. We'll, uh, we'll do wide receivers on Wednesday. I'm very excited for that. Um, I don't know if we'll have anything else. I didn't mention things that we're not looking forward to this baseball season. We'll talk about that as well on the on the back end of that show. And that'll probably be the show. So it'll be a pretty good one. Um, if anything else comes up, we'll obviously make sure to mention it. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a fantastic Tuesday. Back tomorrow. See you. Bye.